Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've got 90 minutes I want to give to you. It's full of information looking at current events in light of the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. I always ask for 90 minutes. This is our premier program for the purpose of getting the information out. It goes around the world as well. We break it up to smaller segments. We do that in the daily broadcast. So this is what we are using to get very important information, political information, that would be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. A bit later on in the broadcast, I'm going to bring to the broadcast table Dr. Elwood McQuaid. He's somewhat of a saint that has been working at the trade of teaching and preaching the prophetic word of God for a number of years. He was the head of Friends of Israel. That's an organization, a mission organization, reaching out to the Jewish people. He's been involved in prophecy for many years as well. Has a new book out, It Is No Dream. We're going to talk to him about it. It's the history and the prophecy of the Jewish nation of Israel. And it's the whole story. So keep your dial where it is. We'll talk to Elwood in the next half hour. In this half hour and beginning our broadcast partner's appearances here at the broadcast table, we have Ken Timmerman. Ken also writing a book that's going to be released just before the next election has something to do with that. He leaked that out to us the other day, what the scenarios could be at that time of election. Ken, are you brain dead yet, or are you still able to keep writing? Oh, no, it's going on. Great guns, Jimmy. Thanks for asking. Uh, The book is advancing uh, very quickly. Well, praise the Lord. We're looking forward with bated breath to being able to read this novel. It's going to be exciting, I'm sure. Ken, let's talk about some geopolitical activities unfolding around the world. I heard earlier today on the newscast that Russia was trying to put together a ceasefire there in northern Syria in Idlib, but also the report has come out this week that Russian special forces are there. What are they doing? Are they are they playing both sides of the fence at one time? Uh, well, this is an old Soviet tactic, Jimmy, and I don't know if it's hardwired into the DNA of the Russian people or not, but they, they have this uh, tactic where they'll set fire to their neighbor's house and then point to it and say, oh, my goodness, there's a fire in my neighbor's house. Why don't we send in the fire brigade? And that gives them the opportunity to then go in and occupy their neighbor's house. The Russians are doing the same thing in Syria. People involved in the ceasefire, the Syrian government, of course, but also the Turkish government, because Turkey is backing the Islamist groups that are up there fighting in Idlib and in northern Syria. Uh, At the same time, the Russians are positioning themselves to be the the power brokers, if you wish, after this war ends, which they think is going to happen uh, soon, uh, they may be in for a bit of a surprise if fighting continues to drag on. Now, at the same time, and you mentioned this, Jimmy, very important, Russian advisors are on the ground. How many? We don't know exactly what they're doing. We don't know. They're really conflicting reports here. It's not clear if these are actual Russian special forces operators who are there on the ground, whether they are forward spotters for the Russian Air Force, because the Russian Air Force is uh, bombing targets in northern Syria, or or whether they are actually private military contractors. The Russians hmm. have done this many, many times before. Yeah, very interesting scenarios you put in front of us there. Well, you mentioned Turkey. Can they seal a deal with Russia and then get northern Syria as well? 
Uh, that's what they want. Now, we'll see what the Russians agree to, because they are literally in the catbird seat there. But so you had Erdogan this past week go to Moscow, meet with Putin in part on northern Syria. Of course, they're talking about northern Syria, but but he got himself photographed at an air show in Moscow looking at the new Sukhoi 57 fighter. This is a fifth generation stealth plane, perhaps a bit similar to the F-35 in the United States. I haven't seen all the specs on it yet. Uh, but it's being touted as being in something equivalent to the F-35. And, and guess what? Now that the U.S. has told Turkey it cannot have the F-35 because they bought these Russian S-400 air defense missiles, so Turkey's now looking to Russia to buy aircraft as well. Question, does Erdogan think that a $10 billion purchase from Russia will give him northern Syria? Hmm. I think it's an open question. Yeah, it is an open question, and we'll stay on top of it to see what the answer is as well. Erdogan, the sly fox, trying to manipulate his way to the position of being able to revive the old Ottoman Empire. And speaking of that, I can't leave Turkey yet. They have some summer camps there going on in Turkey, and what's been heard has been the young people there at the camps shouting, Death to the Jews. Uh, This is not a good sign. Uh, It's disgraceful, frankly, Jimmy. It's a disgrace on Turkey. It's a disgrace on Erdogan. Uh, These seem to be summer camps that are somehow sponsored by his political party. It's outrageous. Clips of their chants. This is like what we saw on Palestinian TV uh, that Itamar Marcus talks about all the time when they're indoctrinating children on Palestinian TV to hate the Jews and saying that this is in the Koran, which, by the way, of course, it is. But in the clips that have come out, you know, there's a girl who's leading these children in chants. She says, she says, the Jews. And then they come back and they say, death, death to the Jews. She says, Palestine. They, they chant back, it'll be saved. And then get this, when she calls out Hagia Sophia, which is, uh, you know, an old Byzantine church cathedral in Istanbul that Erdogan wants to convert into a mosque, they say it will be opened. In other words, mm. it will be opened as a mosque. Mm. So this is really a disgrace on Turkey, and, and it shows Erdogan's true nature, I believe. And his ultimate goals. Well, this last week, a lot of action with the Israeli Air Force. Now, we do not have confirmation from Israel this is the case, but everybody's reporting uh, that they struck three different states, Lebanon, Iraq, and Iran, And these nations are saying this was a declaration of war. Is it that close to breaking out there? No. And that statement, declaration of war, was made by Michel Aoun, the president of Lebanon, somebody that I've known for many, many years, and who uh, disappointed me greatly about 10 years ago when he threw in his lot with Hezbollah. He has become an Iranian puppet, Michel Aoun the Christian uh, president of Lebanon. I think it's shameful. And he was responding to uh, what appears to be accidental crashes of two Israeli drones into a Hezbollah headquarters uh, last weekend in Beirut. I can't imagine that the Israelis would intentionally crash their drones. So these were, looks like intelligence gathering drones that, that for one reason crashed, or perhaps it could be that the Iranian advisors to Hezbollah took them over because they're very good at that. Uh, remember, they, they were able to take over a U.S. Sentinel drone over Afghanistan, right along the Iranian border a couple of years ago, and landed, crash-landed into Iran, and since then, they, subsequently, they cloned that drone. They have made their own drones 
similar to the U.S. Sentinel drone. So this could have been Iranian interference to bring the drones down. And then, of course, then you've got this you know, hyperbolic uh, Christian president, Michel Aoun, in Lebanon, calling it a declaration of war. They're also upset, let's be clear, in Iraq. The Iranian-backed militia groups in Iraq, called the PMF, the Popular Mobilization Forces, they are also saying that drone strikes by Israel along the Syria-Iraq border are a declaration of war. But they are not about, at least in my estimate, they are not about to launch offensive operations against Israel in a coordinated way. Iran does not feel strong enough to do it at the current time. Let me set up this next question for you, Ken, with the prophetic understanding of God's Word that Israel and Iran are going to be at each other during a period of time, about the first six months of the upcoming seven-year tribulation period. That's Ezekiel chapter 38, basically. However, there are politicals who are saying they're in the Middle East that the Israeli-Iranian conflict is exposing what they stated, interesting statement, a bleeding edge of a sword of a war that will include the entire Middle East. Are we that close in this Israeli-Iranian conflict? Well, it's definitely a conflict that is heating up. We see it all the time. We've been talking about this for quite some time. They are in a hot war already, but it's a subdued hot war. It's mainly being fought through proxies. So you have the U.S., fighting Iran through Saudi Arabia. You have Israel fighting Iran against Hezbollah and against Iranian-backed militias in Syria, against Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. They are also directly striking the Revolutionary Guards when they are in Syria. So this could spill over to involve Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, the Emirates, and, of course, the United States and Russia. This has the potential for being a huge conflict. I think we've seen on the part of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu an intense understanding of the potential impact of miscalculations and mistakes. I think he has been extremely careful in what he's done. He's, he's careful to take out the Iranians when they can do damage and to drive a missile right down into the alliance between Iran and Hezbollah and Iran and those other groups. So he is trying to break it up, but sooner or later, it, this is going to erupt into an all-out war. Ken, the United Nations is warning that the cash-rich Islamic State is still a global threat. Your thoughts? My thoughts really go to Turkey once again. The only reason the Islamic State can still have $300 million in its coffers is because the Turks allow them to keep that money instead of imposing the sanctions that the United States and the international community have imposed on uh, the Islamic State. So thank you once again, Tayyip Erdogan, for supporting the most outrageous, most barbaric terrorist group in the last 400 years. Ken Timmerman gives us evidence of what I say. We've got to have him here. He has such great insight because he's been in these locations, met with the personalities that I'm talking about. That's why he is so excellent at analysis as it relates to the geopolitical activities around the world. Ken, thank you so very, very much. We're praying for you as you write your book. We'll talk again next week. Thank you so much, Jerry. I appreciate that. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East News update. David Dolan standing by. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. David Dolan, he's on the other end of the line, basically at the broadcast table, and is going to give us his Middle East news update. David, always a joy to have you along, buddy. You have such great insight into this region of the world. Let me begin our conversation. Israel is preparing for Hezbollah to do a surprise attack there in the northern portion of the state of Israel. What do we know? Well, Jimmy, for one, it's not a surprise in one sense, and that Hezbollah leader Nasrallah said that uh, his organization would reply to Israel's action over Beirut in the middle of the night on Saturday, Sunday last weekend, when two Israeli drones were operating in a Hezbollah area, hit a Hezbollah building, and uh, blew up a truck that had uh, precision-guided material in it to upgrade their missiles. We know that the Israeli military is on full alert. There's been 24-7 nonstop flights over Lebanon, the IDF says, since that threat was made. They've closed uh, about three miles of the border area where I uh, lived when I was first in Israel in 1980 on a kibbutz right along the border. They've closed that to all traffic, all civilian traffic. All uh, aircraft is forbidden to operate there. And, Jimmy, on Friday they announced that all of the soldiers stationed all along the northern border, as well as in the Golan Heights uh, border with Syria, that their leave had been canceled. Now, in Israel, such a small country, normally the soldiers, at least a portion of them, they rotate, are able to go home one or two Sabbaths a month to their families. 
but they're all stationed. They're all staying in place. So full war footing right now. And, of course, this came after the Lebanese army fired at two Israeli stealth drones on Wednesday that they said were flying over a Lebanese army camp along the border. So tensions, indeed, extremely high. Let me remind everybody that Hezbollah is a surrogate terrorist organization for Iran, the terrorist-sponsoring state, and an Islamic uh, radical operation there, their own state exactly. And that then adds to what I'm wanting to ask you, David, if indeed the Israeli-Iranian conflict could cause an entire Middle Eastern war, which is what some of the pundits are saying. Well, Jimmy, yes, we heard from Lebanese sources that just a limited Hezbollah response was being planned, but the Israelis have replied, no way, we will deliver, quote, a crushing blow to Hezbollah if there's any action at all. And Prime Minister Netanyahu rarely speaks anything in Arabic, but he used the Arabic phrase, dear balak, meaning watch out because we are ready for a full response. And, Jimmy, I was in Lebanon in 2006 in July when uh, the Hezbollah forces attacked a couple of patrols, Israeli patrols along the border. They sent some rockets in the area as a diversion. That led to a 34-day war, uh, hundreds of casualties, action throughout the country. So the Israelis are saying, no way, we're not going to allow you to attack us without a serious consequence, to say the least. And that's, I think, what they're preparing for. And, Jimmy, you know, the 2006 war was considered the first direct proxy war between Israel and Iran. Uh, Not the Arab-Israeli conflict at the center of it, but the uh, Iranian-Israeli conflict. So, indeed, this could easily set off a major war. And, of course, we've had, as we've been talking the last two months, so many other things happening. Iran doing so many nefarious things. Israel striking positions in Iraq and in uh, Syria. Just a lot happening, uh, very much on a knife's edge right now. Well, and indeed, in 2006, we covered that Hezbollah-Israeli war. But today, Hezbollah much more prepared for a war, and the ammunition they have uh, could really do a bit of harm on the state of Israel. Well, indeed, Jimmy, the Israelis estimate they have three to four times the rockets that they had in 2006. They definitely can reach much farther into Israel. They say all the way to Elat and even beyond, as we discussed a month or so ago, which could hit Saudi Arabia. They have indeed uh, up to the grade of them to precision guided rockets, not all of them, but they continue to do that. The Israelis, by the way, this week named the Hezbollah operatives that were involved in that, including uh, the one that was heavily involved in the Hezbollah attack on U.S. Marines in 1983. I was in South Lebanon at the time that left 241 Marines uh, dead. He is on the U.S. wanted list. So yes, uh, both Iran and Hezbollah uh, much stronger. Iran now has submarines, at least some, and of course their uh, missile force is much larger as well. And most importantly, they're stationed throughout Syria, just to the north of Israel, not just Lebanon, but Syria. And uh, that is a game changer for sure. That wasn't the case in 2006. So a regional war, Jimmy, would almost likely be the result of any Hezbollah action. And uh, the prime minister saying, watch out, a crushing blow is coming if you launch something. But the Israelis are preparing for that to happen. David, about 14 years ago, I think it is exactly 14 years ago, the destruction of Kush Katif was uh, very much in the headlines. This was a Jewish settlement area. 
I wonder, have they been able to recoup from that, and what's the situation out there? Pretty much so, Jimmy, but, you know, it's still, um, uh, everybody is preparing uh, along the northern border. As I said, I lived there uh, the first year that I was in Israel, and we had, uh, at that time, the PLO was the enemy across the border, not uh, Hezbollah. Hezbollah was just being created, but all of the Israeli communities uh, along the north and in Judea and Samaria and along the Gaza Strip are all preparing for attacks. The bomb shelters have been opened. I remember all that well. We used to go to the bomb shelter on a regular basis, the group of Christians I was living with for a year along the border, and the Israeli residents all over the area, and again in Judea and Samaria, where we've had a series of terror attacks, as we've discussed over the last few weeks. We had more rockets from Gaza this week and mortar shells. On Friday, we had another four-man squad tried to cross the border with grenades and knives to attack Israelis. So all throughout the country, Jimmy, and this time really in the cities as well, people are preparing. In the United States, it's a hurricane coming. In Israel, it's a possible war that Hezbollah says they will take, and Iran has said so too, take two Israeli cities and towns throughout the country. So all of the areas are preparing for that possibility. There's an upcoming election in Israel, and on a daily basis, it seems to change as to who is going to be able to win that election. I, I want to ask you two questions. First of all, what does it look like for Prime Minister Netanyahu and then about a selection he's made to be a part of his cabinet, a pro-Third Temple politician? First of all, what does it look like politically for the Prime Minister's re-election possibility? Well, Jimmy, if there is any major action uh, in the North, the elections will be postponed. That's happened several times before during times of conflict, so that's the first thing to say. But the polls still show that uh, Netanyahu and Benny Gantz of the Blue and White are about even and what seats they would get. But uh, as you mentioned, Prime Minister Netanyahu made an agreement this week with the Zehut movement. That's headed by Moshe Feiglin. He's a right-wing politician, an Orthodox Jew, very much an advocate for rebuilding the temple uh, on the Temple Mount, and also uh, at the same time an advocate for legalizing marijuana in Israel. The Prime Minister said he would go along with that, and he would appoint Feiglin as a minister in his government, probably something in the economic realm, which is also his field. But uh, he's very much an advocate for rebuilding the Temple. And, Jimmy, this is because Feiglin's party last time did not receive enough votes to cross the threshold. You have to get at least, uh, I think it's two and a half percent. So those votes were wasted, and this time he has this agreement with the Likud, so that will add one or two seats to the Likud, and those votes will not be wasted, meaning the right wing will be strengthened, and that's what Netanyahu was ultimately after. I do believe, if I remember correctly, Moshe Phelan was a part of a Likud for a number of years before he stepped aside and started his own political party. And he said at one time that if he was elected prime minister, they would start construction on the third temple right away. Now, that's an interesting statement. I'm not sure if he can make it happen, come about. I'm doubting he's going to be the prime minister. But my question is, does that mean that Prime Minister Netanyahu is now in favor of uh, that third temple being put up pretty quickly? Well, it's certainly a step, a major step in that direction, Jimmy. Of course, the Prime Minister knows 
the opposition would be intense and extreme. And as we've said uh, many times, such a thing is only probably going to happen in the wake of another massive Middle East war in which the opponents of Israel would basically be defeated. And that may be exactly where we're at right now on the uh, verge of such a thing as we've been talking about. So who knows, but it certainly is a step towards that in the Likud. And there are other Likud members, and of course members of other right-wing parties and religious parties that want to see a temple rebuilt as well. So Fagelin is definitely not alone, but he will be apparently a senior cabinet minister if Netanyahu forms the next government. Interesting conversation as it relates to the political situation in Israel, but at the same time talking about the third temple being erected right there in the city of Jerusalem, which is indeed, it is absolutely a part of the prophetic scenario upcoming for the Jewish people. David, thank you so very much for your report. Very insightful. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy, and God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Elwood McQuaid has a brand new book, It Is No Dream. We'll talk about it with Elwood. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, right here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to be taking off this week, headed over to Illinois. We have a couple of churches there, one near Peoria, the other near LaSalle, and we're going to be there in ministry. Actually, it's a father-son team. One of them, pastors in the Peoria area, the other in LaSalle, and we're going to have a great opportunity to meet with some friends. WPEO Radio, that's their country out there, and uh, we'll see Bob and all the gang and many others of our friends who follow our ministry and so supportive of getting the prophetic word of God out. We're looking forward to that time, and we'll be reporting from that area this next week. Well, I'm not going to go to a headline story, which is what I normally do with my broadcast partners, but I'm going to bring to this microphone, the broadcast table, Dr. Elwood McQuaid. Dr. McQuaid was the leader, the director of the Friends of Israel organization. He was the editor of their newspaper, Israel My Glory. I would have to say it is the best magazine that I have seen any ministry 
produce and send out to the people that support their ministry. But today, with Dr. McQuaid, a longtime friend of us here at Prophecy Today, and me personally, I'm excited to give you the information about a brand new book that Elwood has just completed. It's entitled, It Is No Dream, and the subtitle, Israel, Prophecy and History, The Whole Story. Now, I have started reading it, not all the way through yet, but I wanted to get this information out to you. It'll be available at foi.org. You can go there and on the website, make your purchase, or you can even contact us here, right here at Prophecy Today. We have a Prophecy Bookstore. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. If you go to the bookstore, you can make your purchase of Elwood's brand new book, It Is No Dream. I like the title. Where did you get the title from, Elwood? I got the title from uh, the origins of the Zionist movement back in the 1800s. Theodore Herzl said, if you will it, it is no dream. And what we're doing in this book, Jimmy, is taking prophecy and history, and we say the whole story because the Word of God gives us the whole story. With the problems we have today with replacement theology, the BDS uh, movement against Israel, and all these issues that are coming up now that are false and cause people to be confused, the Word of God says this. If you take the story of Israel, which we've done in this book, from start to finish, theology aside, from Abraham to Revelation, read the whole book. What it does is this. It sets forth the prophetic word and the future of Israel and the Jewish people, and then we're showing how the word of God is manifested in history, step by step by step, until it comes to a glorious conclusion. Hmm. This story, the word of God, and the historical not documentation, the Word of God documents itself, its authority itself. For example, replacement theology takes the Jewish people in Israel to the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 A.D., and then it cuts off the story and says the church has taken Israel's place. It now is the true Israel of God. What that says is this, when does forever mean forever? We Christians believe forever is eternity. God has made forever, forever, forever promises to Israel and gives the conclusion, which is the return of the Messiah, the millennium, all these wonderful things. We're seeing people robbed of the fullness of the Word of God and its application to the biblical people, chosen people that you know so well and propagate so well. So it's just a great need today. We tried to cover it all. We've got, of course, the history, we've got the dispersion, the preservation, the restoration, the reconciliation of Israel when it comes to the Messiah and the ultimate return and reconciliation, God and his people. And you know what I like about it? It scans the entire Bible from the biblical historic perspective of God's chosen people. And then it brings in the prophecy. Now, it's not simply a prophecy book, but it has to be inclusive in the book because of the history of the Jewish people is, in essence, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And I have to say, as I was reading through it, Elwood, 
you have some great research. Man, I learned some things. I thought I knew everything about Israel, having lived there for 28 years. You've been talking with somebody or getting information from somewhere. And you not only use the Bible, and of course, as you said, the Bible is key, but tell us some of the research that went into putting this book together. Jimmy, I, I did the first edition of this book in 1978, if you can believe it. Mm. It's never gone off the charts as we've been through 13 editions. I've decided with the crisis and the chaos that we have going on today, particularly in America, rise of anti-Semitism, all of these disgusting things, that I needed to do a full rewrite of this, bring it up to date, Put in maps. This is full color book. Put in maps. Put in a tour of Israel for the people who can't go there, from Mount Hermon in the north to Elat in the south. Beautiful pictures and a timeline and all of these things. And what it tells us is this. God does not deal in half measures. Mm. We're not hopelessly bound by events that are thrust upon us, but it triumphantly brings us through, brings Israel through, tells the whole story. I did personal interviews with people I've known and you've known for years, military leaders, political leaders, four prime ministers of our acquaintance, and all of these things, making it available to Christians who really want to know the truth. We tried to put it before them. You know, I, as I was reading it, realized in your Ford, I think it was, you said you had two purposes. Number one, to help Christians understand and study all the aspects of this great history of the Jewish people. But number two, then to help the Jewish people to realize there are two types of Christians. There are true, born-again, Bible-believing Christians, and then there are people who say there are Christians. Well, I think this is a great aid to the Jewish people so they may recognize who really believe God's Word as it relates to the fact that the Jewish people are the chosen people. And then the Jewish dream that you brought out, and I love the little book of Obadiah, verse 17, that they would have a dream that they could be content in a place that God has selected for them to be forever, be consistent with all the scripture that they've studied down through at least a couple of thousand years, and then into the future as well. But let me just bring up Uh, I think probably a key time in all of history, May 14, 1948, when Ben-Gurion gave the announcement to the world, God's plan was in process, there was a Jewish nation. That was a key moment in history, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. All of the naysayers said that Israel was dead and gone. But in 1948, what we saw, we have a beautiful picture of that announcement by the Prime Minister Ben-Gurion, announcing the resurrection of the state. What happened, Jimmy, and we witnessed it. What they said could never happen. For the first time in the annals of human history, a nation long dead kicked open the, the door of the tomb, stepped out onto the stage of history, and has been the wonder of the world, and we've seen it, and because we're believers and we've just trusted the Word of God, we're witnessing it happen. It's a miracle, a true miracle 
it's wonderful to see it. We're privileged, as you put it so well, every time you speak. And you know what we've just been talking about? Hey, that's not all. Man, that's just the beginning. The best is yet to come, isn't it? That's exactly right. For example, we talk about uh, Daniel's word to us that one day the lion is going to lie down with the lamb, and we're going to have peace, that it's going to flow to the whole world under the lordship of the Messiah. You know, this brings an important question, Jimmy. I'm often asked, and I know, I know you get this question over and over again, how can Judaism and Christianity ever be reconciled? The Jewish people have been, have, have been beset by hostility and expulsions and all of these terrible things over the years of their separation from the land. And Christians on the other side have been, as you indicated earlier, accused of afflicting the Jews. Some said that they believed Hitler was a Christian. I mean, these preposterous things. But there is a solution. It's a very simple one. We have that answer in our hand today. And that is this. When the Jewish people, as a nation, recognize the identity of the Messiah, Judaism and Christianity, in the truest form, will be reconciled. Hmm. All the issues will be settled. And we know who that is, Jimmy. We have the message to deliver to Jewish people and Gentiles the world over that uh, this day is coming. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is indeed. That was the voice of Dr. Elwood McQuaid. I'm having a conversation with him today because of his brand new book. Well, may I say refurbished book or updated book. It's entitled, It Is No Dream. It's the prophecy and history of the Jewish people, the state of Israel, the whole story, in fact. It's a must-read as far as you are concerned. You can go to foi.org. That's the Friends of Israel website. You can purchase it there. Or come to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the Prophecy Bookstore. We'll have this volume in our bookstore as well. But you have to, wherever you get it, doesn't matter. You go purchase it and read it. It's an excellent read. I wanted Elwood to come and explain how he brought it all together. Elwood, thank you so much, my dear friend. This is a blessing to the church and to the Jewish people as well. I'm excited about the book, and we pray that God will give you great success in getting this book out and across the world. Thank you, Jimmy. Very interesting conversation with Elwood McQuaid. The title of that book, It Is No Dream. It's looking at the prophecy and history of the Jewish state of Israel, the Jewish people, in fact, the whole story. Great conversation. Love Elwood McQuaid, quite the writer. Well, here's a man that uh, we really appreciate here on Prophecy Today. His name is John Rood. He is the man who covers the European Union for us, having lived in Brussels, Belgium for over 30 years, I do believe. He knows the lay of the land, and he knows how to give us details behind some of the headlines. John, thanks for joining us today on the broadcast. My pleasure. I want to ask you about the president of France, Macron, who seems to want Russia right there at the EU's side. Now, in the G7, Macron seemed to take a leadership role and really standing up for Russia being able to re-enter the G7, or actually it should be the G8. What are your thoughts about Macron? Why does he want Russia so close? 
Uh, Macron has had a uh, history of working to propel himself in the uh, European Union hierarchy as a leader. So there are certain forces at work here, of course. Russia, on the other side, is always working to fill any vacuum that's created by European fractures. And Macron wants to balance the European Union and the United States. So having these particular distinctions bring him to the forefront. He has brought out in this recent speech that pushing Russia into isolation can increase tension, it can bring them closer to China, and so they are not looking for uh, negative effects from Russia. Then again, to say to bring them on board, Russia seems very excluded from the G7, which of course was the G8 before. So we do see Russia jockeying for a certain position. They're bringing out the idea that Macron could be sort of a new uh, Charles de Gaulle who's trying to bridge the West with Russia. So it appears to me from this, Jimmy, that both President Macron and Russia are jockeying for position. Yeah, it sure does. And, of course, as they jockey, they're moving better into position to be able to fulfill the prophetic scenario that's found in the Word of God. That's why we want to come to John Rood every single week, folks. He's a key player here on our team. Well, let's talk about Brexit. I hate to keep bringing it up. It changes from day to day. We don't know what's going to happen. But it is interesting that the Queen went along with the British Prime Minister, Johnson, uh, to suspend the Parliament uh, about uh, sometime in the next week or so. Uh, That's a very interesting development. Well, yes, Prime Minister Johnson has called for Parliament to be suspended, which would amount to a period of, I believe, 23 days before the Queen's speech. This is something that has been done before. The Queen uh, more or less doesn't like to uh, be involved in political decisions, and actually her speech on October 14th would be written by the government, and she simply reads that. But now having Parliament suspended, very, very likely situation of a no-deal Brexit, which is bringing out now all of the uncertainties. The reason why Parliament was suspended is because it's clear, well, not only has this been the longest session for the Parliament, it's been going on for more than two years, which is very rare. I think it's the longest parliamentary session in the U.K., for uh, like 400 years. Nevertheless, having Parliament suspended at this particular time does not permit them to come up with a plan to reject Brexit. So Prime Minister Johnson seems to be very strong. October 31st, we're out with a deal, without a deal. And so he's sort of playing the EU game of chicken to see what would happen. Uh, Game of chicken, I like that. Yes, it looks like he's wanting to be able to be the one who stands up against the European Union. He does not want any of his parliamentary members that support him and brought him to the position of prime minister to be in the mix there. But, John, let me ask this. Is Brexit really escalating uh, problems there in the European continent economically? Well, the situation that's come up is uh, Germany has had one quarter of negative growth. It appears the second quarter in a row is ne- would be negative growth, which is the definition for a recession. So the Brexit situation 
with or without no deal, certainly with no deal, puts a lot of strain on the economy of Western Europe. The biggest trading partner is the United Kingdom. And so they're trying to obviously try to uh, bring down whatever possible negative effects there could be. The European Central Bank is coming out with some type of new monetary stimulus on September 12th. Uh, obviously, this would be in response to any potential damage. We do see with potential uh, recession in Western Europe that this is brinkering on the edge, and it's a very sensitive time for European economics. Uh, people will bring this out. I do believe that the United Kingdom would will survive the uh, Brexit situation, and we're only down to nine weeks now. And so imagine all the news that, that we hear uh, compared to those in the United Kingdom. They've been hearing this now, Jimmy, for over yeah. three years yeah, to vote. And so they're ready. They're ready. And uh, the economic uh, situation is a bit unstable, yes. Yes, absolutely. And folks, if you're wondering why we talk about economics and politics as it relates to the European Union, this political activity, economic activity, is only leading to the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. That's why we need you each and every week, John. Thank you so very much for joining us today. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Always a pleasure to monitor these important European events. Very interesting conversation with John Rood as we look at events unfolding in the European Union, a key region of the world. We need to stay on top of what is happening there as they really are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Our next broadcast partner is going to be Dr. Don DeYoung. He's head of the science department at Grace College, Winona Lake, Indiana, and actually, uh, we are able to get a hold of him the summer, kind of a relaxing time. He can do some writing, some studying, maybe a little bit of fishing as well, or hiking. I know you hike a lot with your family, Don, but thanks for being available so we could have a short conversation, which I want to focus on the Amazon. So thanks for being available. Sure thing. Glad to be here. You know, Don, what's interesting to me, a lot of news has been covering the fire there in the Amazon rainforest. Now, I called you the other day to say, hey, do you think this would be a discussion we should have? And you said, I think it would be very interesting. So let me begin by asking you to define what is a rainforest? Well, uh, Jimmy, that's one of the you know areas of geography around the, the world. The Amazon is the largest rainforest there is. It's an area of considerable rainfall, lots of vegetation, and also a huge biodiversity, kinds of animals and plants. Not necessarily tropical, although the Amazon is. Well, and let me ask then, and you, I think I got your answer already. The Amazon rainforest is not the only one in the world. They are scattered across the world, you say? Well, there are. There's even small rainforest areas in the northwest of the U.S., Oregon, Washington area and different places around the, the world as well. Again, areas of just considerable precipitation, rainfall. Well, my wife Judy and I were on a cruise up in the Alaska area, and I do believe one of the side trips, I think they told us that was a rainforest. Is that a possibility? It was in the summertime, but would that have been a possibility as well? 
Yes, it certainly could be along the coastline, mm-hmm. lots of rain. And then there, instead of, you know, tropical plants, you have more of the conifers. You have the evergreen world up that way. Yes, it was simply a beautiful location. We hiked through it a little bit. It was great respite from being on that luxurious cruise that you can take up there around the area of Alaska. Uh, I've heard and uh, been watching and reading about this fire in the rainforest there in Brazil in the Amazon, and they're calling that area the lungs of the earth. Now, why do they call it that? Well, that is a common phrase because vegetation, in a way, breathes in and out, breathes the opposite of us. Whereas we uh, take in oxygen and give off CO2, vegetation does the very opposite, taking in the CO2 and giving off oxygen. So in that way, it, uh, it balances what we're doing. So uh, to call the, the rainforest lungs, it's just sort of a way to relate to the way that, that, that vegetation flourishes. Well, then that must mean we need to have these rainforests around the world in order to be able to have habitation on this earth. Don't we have to have that? Well, we do, although we must be careful. The news has a way of getting carried away. Actually, the the Brazilian rainforests are almost um, awash as far as oxygen in and out. Yes, they do give off oxygen, but there's also a lot of animal life, microscopic and larger in the rainforest, which take in oxygen. So altogether, the Brazilian rainforest may give 5 or 6% of the oxygen that the Earth uses, but most of the oxygen is actually provided by plants in the ocean, uh, floating plants and the, the kelp forests, and of course um, the oceans are relatively healthy. So uh, actually um, the rainforest a minor contributor to our atmosphere. What about these fires? How significant is that there in the Amazon? Well, they certainly are in the news. Again, uh, the news, uh, I would say, is somewhat exaggerated. There are um, thousands of fires down there in uh, Brazil and uh, the neighboring countries as well. Although this happens, uh, Jimmy, every every year, and uh, you'll hear numbers like um, 5,000 square miles that have been burned. But when you do the numbers, even though that's a, a lot of fire, That is far less than 1% Mm. of the Brazilian rainforest. Mm. And so uh, it almost sounds like it's, you know, the end of the world down there, but it's uh, really a minor item. And by the way, these are not wildfires. These are actually being set by people. It's illegal. But uh, a lot of those folks are clearing the land for farming and cattle and mining. And it's it's too bad to lose those wonderful areas of uh, wildlife. Could actually the Amazon rainforest, could uh, they be destroyed? Well, in time, and uh, I think over the last um, half century, we have lost about 20% of the Brazilian rainforest due to clear-cutting. And so as the decades go by, unless that destruction can be addressed, again, we'll lose that wonderful uh, part of creation. Well, at least that portion of the rainforests that are on the earth today, but would it be a major problem if we lost all of the Brazilian Amazon rainforest? Well, certainly that contribution to our oxygen would be lost, but that that doesn't mean we could no longer breathe. There are, you know, there are other other avenues. You know, this world, even though it's far from perfect, uh, we can see God's handiwork down there, and we would just lose that aspect of of creation whether that would happen or whether people can whether we can address the loss 
time will tell. Yes, absolutely. I have to tell you, Don, what this reminds me of is the prophetic passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, and that begins the seven trumpet judgments. And the first angel told to sound the trumpet, hail and fire cast out onto the earth. One third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. I'm not saying that what we see in the Amazon rainforest is that first of the trumpet judgments, but similar to what will happen in the future, is it not? Uh, Yes, that verse does refer to one-third of the earth burning, the trees and the vegetation. This also reminds me of Matthew 24-7, where it says that this present age, you know, we will face wars and famines and earthquakes, and it says this is just the beginning. And I would take these contemporary fires in, in Brazil as just a hint of the beginning, if uh, at, at present we are losing far less than 1% due to these fires, compared with one-third of the earth, it shows that those end-time events will be in an entirely different category, nothing like we have ever seen before. Yes, indeed. Terrible judgments upon the earth. The Lord has given the seals, the sealed book, I call it the title deed to the earth, so that he can bring the earth and earth dwellers under submission, and then the kingdom can be set up when he comes back. But this is one of the reasons I want to talk about the rainforest. There's so much in the news that may not be totally true. And then I wanted to look into the future prophetically as well. Don, thank you so very much for giving me opportunity to have a conversation with you. Looking forward to doing another one real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Good talking to you. Very interesting conversation with Dr. Don DeYoung. I have been wondering about the Amazon rainforest and all the activity and all the news that has been brought up about this situation. Well, Don gave us many answers, and I'm so grateful to him for doing that. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we've got one more broadcast partner. That's David James. We'll talk with him, and then I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to our third half hour of Prophecy Today. If you'll give me this half hour, you will have completed the 90 minutes I asked for so that we could give you information looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. In a moment, I'll be talking with David James, a very interesting discussion we're going to have. Be sure to stay tuned for that. want to ask you if you'll respond to my poll question. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the home page, scroll down the left-hand side, and you'll find the question. Here it is. The news that a major denomination, the Evangelical Free Church, has dropped the term premillennialism from its statement of faith, and then they have said that eschatology is not a major doctrine is very, very sad. This statement contradicts the stand on eschatology of Prophecy Today. Do you stand with us here on Prophecy Today that the doctrine of the end times is a major biblical doctrine? Now, that's the poll question. Please respond if you will. We would appreciate it so very much. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I 
meet here at the broadcast table on a weekly basis, and we have a conversation, one that will focus on an issue that the body of Christ, the church, we as Christians should have a biblical understanding of. We hope and pray that this is a service that is beneficial to you as you eavesdrop on these conversations weekly. I'm so thankful that uh, we have David James available. He travels quite a bit. We try to get him where he is whenever he's on the road. But I think we've got him at home this time. And, David, this week uh, you sent me an article from Christianity Today about the Evangelical Free Church of America. And they have changed their statement of faith concerning premillennialism. Talk to me about it. Well, it's good to be with you again, Jimmy. I always appreciate the opportunity, whether I'm at home, which I am, or on the road, which I'll be heading out to Uganda next week, and we can talk about that then. So the article you mentioned is on the Christianity Today website with the title EFCA, that's the Evangelical Free Church. EFCA now considers premillennialism a non-essential and has a tagline that denomination drops end times doctrine from its statement of faith and a move to major on the major and minor on the minors. Now, the E-Free Church has historically been premillennial and pre-tribulational, as far as I know. You know, I have some good friends in the E-Free Church, and we were actually supported for a long time as missionaries in Hungary by an E-Free Church. So my experience is that the Evangelical Free Church has generally been theologically trustworthy, at least until this recent change. And getting back to the article, at the National Denominational Meeting in June, the EFCA revised their doctrinal statement to read, We believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the change involves striking premillennial from the phrase glorious return. Then the article noted further that premillennialism is clearly a minority position among evangelical believers. Now that's troubling all by itself. And then the article says premillennialism has been a denominational distinctive for the EFCA, according to the document, but shouldn't be overemphasized. Now, I've read the EFC statement of faith in preparation for our discussion today, and I think it's biblical overall, although even when it included premillennial, it did leave the door open to any view concerning the rapture of the Church uh, relative to the Tribulation and the Second Coming, so they weren't specific about that. David, I want to talk to you about the E-Free Church, who they are, and how this denomination came into existence. But let me just go back on one statement you made, that as you reported what they were saying, they want a major on the majors and not the minors. I don't understand eschatology as a minor doctrine. It's one-third of the entire Bible, correct? Well, well, that's exactly right, and I really personally don't like this idea of giving different weight to different doctrines. Of course, there is a specific weight that should be given to the gospel, but actually the Bible is much more than just the gospel, and the gospel and salvation is not the end of the story, it's the beginning of the story, and our understanding of all of the Bible is extremely important to our spiritual growth and our spiritual life and our relationship with the Lord. Amen. I agree with that 100%, 1,000%. Well, let's get back now to who are the E-Free people, the Church, and so what can you tell us about this EFCA denomination? 
to be honest, I didn't know that much about the E-Free Church until I started working on the research for our discussion today. And although I don't recommend Wikipedia for primary research, it's usually a good place to start. And the opening paragraph of the Wikipedia article says that the Evangelical Free Church of America is a radical, pietistic Christian denomination in the Evangelical Protestant tradition. The EFCA was formed in 1950 from the merger of the Swedish Evangelical Free Church and the Norwegian Danish Evangelical Free Church Association. And the article goes on to say that the E-Free Church affirms the authority and inerrancy of the Bible, the Trinity, atonement through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christ is the head of the Church, and the local Church has a right to self-government and believes in the return of Christ, the bodily resurrection from the dead, and the two ordinances of water baptism and the Lord's Supper. So historically, the E-Free Church has been fairly conservative, but the removal of the word premillennial from its doctrinal statement represents a massive shift in my mind, and I have to wonder if the influence of reform guys trying to change all of evangelicalism isn't at least partly to blame. And the denomination also has a well-known seminary in the Chicago area, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and interestingly, the school statement of faith still has the word premillennial in it. I checked it out. Uh, but this seminary also has had some professors that we wouldn't agree with on a number of issues for quite a few years, and I wouldn't be surprised if this also contributed to the problem. David, when we talk about the issue of premillennialism, I think it would be good if you would take a moment explain exactly what that term means and why is it important. The word millennium means 1,000 years, and it refers to the 1,000 years that Christ will rule over his kingdom on the earth, and the prefix pre obviously means before. So when we use the term premillennial, we mean that Christ will return before he establishes a literal 1,000-year reign, a kingdom upon the earth. And we know from many prophecies in both the Old and the New Testament that God will establish his kingdom on the earth through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and we know from Revelation 20, uh, exactly how long that reign will be. Uh, the Apostle John wrote this in verses 1 through 3 of Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Then in verse 4, we read this, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the reason this is important is because it's all about using a normal hermeneutic, interpreting the Bible correctly, taking God at his word. David, I know that you interacted with an e-free pastor about this issue. Can you take a moment, tell us about what he had to say as it relates to the decision to remove premillennialism from the statement of faith by the denomination? Sure, and of course, I don't want to name this pastor, but he does know that you and I are discussing this issue on, on the air, so I can share with you and our listeners what he wrote to me about this. He said this, It's one thing to disagree on the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, and post-trib. I have my view and defend it, but we're debating specific interpretations of text. 
the millennial debate is all about hermeneutics. What did the audience of the prophets hear? There will be an earthly kingdom with the Messiah, David's offspring, and on the earth. And then he went on to say, yes, evangelical amillennialists can be my brother in Christ, but his hermeneutic is different than mine, and that impacts a lot. Do I want an amillennialist on my staff? No. And then you have to deal with Revelation 20, and which we just talked about. The hermeneutics puts that in a different class of argument for me. And he did note that there is enough autonomy for the local church that his church hasn't been forced to change their doctrinal statement. But he also said he thinks some churches will probably leave the denomination because of this. And even his own church has struggled about what they should do, uh, even though they're not planning on leaving the denomination at the moment. David, uh, both you and this E-Free pastor brought up the issue of hermeneutics, and you use the term normal hermeneutics. What do you mean by that, and could you explain why you think it's important to interpret the Bible using this method of interpretation? Well, the term normal hermeneutics simply means that we should use the same method of interpretation when studying the Bible as we do when reading or studying anything else, whether it be a book, an article, or a letter that we receive from someone. We should interpret the Bible normally. Uh, a more technical term is literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic, and when I use that phrase, uh, literal means the text has objective meaning, and that every passage has a single meaning that God has communicated through the text, even if it involves symbolic or figurative language. So, for example, if I say it's raining cats and dogs, that's figurative language, but my intention is to communicate a single idea, and that is that it's raining very hard. It's an objective, literal understanding of what I said based upon how we understand even the basic principles of communication. And in the case of Revelation 20, concerning the millennium, since God used the phrase 1,000 years six times in as many verses, a normal method of interpretation means that we must take this seriously and accept that Christ will reign for a thousand years on the earth after his return, as described in the previous chapter. When we talk about a grammatical hermeneutic, we mean that the literary context determines the precise meaning of every word, and we look at the grammar and syntax to figure this out. And this is about considering uh, things like the nouns, adjectives, adverbs, preposition, and verbs, and how they are used in every sentence, including the sentence sentences before and after the verse that we're studying. And when we talk about a historical hermeneutic, this means that we take the historical context into consideration, which means that we look at the author, the recipients, the geopolitical situation, the time in history, and the dispensation that this has to do with, among any number of other things. No, thank you very much. That was key, I do believe, for our people to understand that terminology. Well, let's go back for a moment to the decision by the E-Free denomination. David, do you see this change in their statement of faith, simply dropping one word, as a major shift? And is it really that big of a problem as we seem to be bringing forth? Well, Jimmy, I, I think it absolutely is a major shift, and I think it is a huge problem. First of all, it means that the EFCA is no longer consistently using that 
type of hermeneutic that I just explained and the, the method of interpretation that we just talked about, a literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic. In other words, we use this method of interpretation, whether we're studying historical narrative like Genesis through Second Chronicles in the Old Testament and the Gospels through Acts in the New Testament or Proverbs or poetry in the Old Testament or the letters in the New Testament or prophetic literature in both the Old and the New Testament. So if they no longer think that premillennialism is important, then they're not consistently using this method of interpretation when it comes to prophetic literature, especially books like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation. And how anyone handles prophecy, in my mind, is a sort of litmus test for their overall interpretation of the Bible. And if they're willing to abandon a biblical hermeneutic concerning prophecy, then I would say they've cut the anchor rope from the Word of God, then it opens the door to abandoning biblical interpretation concerning other doctrines. You know, I generally don't like to use the slippery slope argument, but I would say this definitely is an example of the potential danger of a slow but steady theological change once a biblical hermeneutic is no longer being consistently used. And my guess is that there will be an ongoing erosion of the EFCA doctrine, and that, unfortunately, this represents a fundamental change, and so it seems likely that the EFCA will probably never be the same again. God's Word has to be that anchor. David, a very important discussion I do believe we had. Not only does it affect the evangelical free church, uh, but other churches who may be moving in the same direction as well. So the great research you did was helpful for our listeners. We'll have another conversation next week, and we're looking forward to that. Thanks, Jimmy. Talk to you again. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to take a look at the book, take all the issues we've discussed with our broadcast partners, and then we'll see what God's Word has to say about it. God's Word, that anchor. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Want to invite you to join us on one of our tours to the Bible Lands. We take about eight tours a year. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel, and there you can get all the information you need to come along and visit the lands of the Bible with us here at Prophecy Today. And one more thought, we have an upcoming Prophecy Conference here in Chattanooga, December 2 to 5. David James and I will be speaking on issues. This will be for our students of our School of Prophets, but also for any of you that would like to join us, I'll be speaking on prophecy through the Bible, and this will be my third part of this study. And David James has a brand new look at God's plan through the ages. These will be the topics for the conference here in Chattanooga, December 2 to 5. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, for more information. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and 
can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today we had some great conversations with our broadcast partners. We were able to get their insight on current events from a political perspective. This is so helpful as we study Bible prophecy and become aware of where we are in God's plan for the future. That's why we look at the political, which then leads us to the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. By the way, if you missed any of these informative conversations, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll be able to listen to any and all of our broadcast partners and what they had to say. And please do me a favor, tell a friend so that they can listen also to what was said. Send them the link, encourage them to send it along to others. We want to get this information out to the body of Christ so they can understand what is happening truly in our world. Right now, I want to take a moment to remind you of what was said by my broadcast partners and then to give you a prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman, he's back in the States now, and he is on top of all the geopolitical events unfolding. For example, we talked about the Turkish summer camps and the young people shouting death to the Jews. That's what's being taught in Turkey in these summer camps sponsored by the president, Tayyip Erdogan. I want you to understand that Turkey will be a major player in the end times, as mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, verses 2 and 6. There you read the Hebrew words Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. Well, those were the four parts of the modern-day state of Turkey, so we're talking about Turkey when it talks about Bible prophecy as a major player. They will be a part of an alignment of nations with a desire to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. And in Turkey today, they're training their children that type of a philosophy to kill the Jews. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. We talked about a political party in Israel looking forward to the building of the next temple. The prime minister has invited Moshe Phelan, who was the head of another political party, to come back home to the Likud, be a part of that political party, and Moshe Phelan was promised that he would be a minister in the next government should Prime Minister Netanyahu be able to form that government. Moshe Phelan, in his campaigning, had made this statement, if he was elected prime minister, he would begin the building of the Temple on the Temple Mount immediately. Now it seems that since he will be a part of Likud and under the Prime Minister Netanyahu, that they are looking forward to a temple being built on the Temple Mount as well, key in the prophetic scenario for the days ahead. 
Dr. Elwood McQuaid, he's a senior citizen, but a great author still, strong mind, strong voice, and we have a conversation with him about his book on the history and prophecy surrounding the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. It's a great read, very biblical on the history of Israel, and the prophetic is right on target as it relates to the Jewish people and the Jewish nation and the plan that God has for them. It's a good read. It's entitled, It Is No Dream. It's available at my website, prophecytoday.com. John Rood talks to us about the European Union, what's happening there, a key region of our world as it relates to the end-time scenario of God's Word. We talked about the French President Macron, who is interested in Russia being at the European Union's side. Now, the European Union and Russia today are major players in our world. In fact, when you think about it, they are major players in the future as well. The European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire found in Daniel chapter 7. And Russia, Ezekiel 38, will be the leader of an alignment of nations that will go against the Jewish state of Israel. When we talked with John... We see how that stage is being set by the French President Macron and the Russian President Vladimir Putin. I brought Don DeYoung to this broadcast table for the purpose of talking to him about the Brazilian Amazon rainforest. The report is that it is on fire, it may be destroyed, and what people in the world call the lungs of the earth may not be able to produce the oxygen that we need. Well, I want to remind you what God's Word teaches. The Lord brought the earth into existence, and He controls what will happen on this earth, no matter what climate change may say. God has a plan for the earth. He will protect it. It is an absolute. But at the same time, we need to care for the well-being of the earth. We must be good stewards. The Bible does say that it is our responsibility the earth will sustain our life. And also, I was talking with Don, and we saw the comparison with Revelation chapter 8, the first of the trumpet judgments, when one day in the future one-third of the trees will burn up and all the green grass on the earth will be destroyed as well. That will be during the terrible time of judgment, the tribulation period ahead. David James and I talked about the E-Free Church and their change in their standard of faith and their stand on eschatology. We must understand that one-third of the Bible is Bible prophecy, and we must interpret that Bible prophecy literally. That approach then concludes that the next event will be the rapture, the seven-year tribulation period after that, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and a kingdom— a thousand-year kingdom, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. All of these broadcast partners have brought evidence to the table that God's plan for the future is quickly coming together. You need to understand that and realize where we are in that prophetic scenario in the future. I can tell you this, the next event is the rapture of the church. No prophecy has to be fulfilled before the rapture. All prophecy that we were talking about is fulfilled after the rapture. And that rapture, by the way, could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up 
until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.